all. Welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday morning. Joining me from Seattle, Washington, is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Morning. Big WNBA weekend, right, Pelton? Uh, yeah, I had the, uh, the Phoenix Mercury in town to play the Storm on ABC on Saturday, but sadly no Brianna Stewart for the Storm. She's in health and safety. One of my favorite players. Love Brianna Stewart. Oh, Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, where he was at the Suns Mavericks stunning game seven, which we are about to talk about last night, is Anscape's Mark J. Spears. Spears? Well, hold on. I got to give you a Brianna Stewart fun fact. Go ahead. I got to visit Disney World China with her. Oh, really? If, if you look into the depths of Google, you could find this feature I did with me and her and a Chinese reporter promoting uh, ba- uh, the, it was in Shanghai, Disney World, yeah. China. So get bored one day, check it out. Well, I had so much fun last year covering the women at the Olympics and Brianna Stewart was, uh, was amazing. So was Brittany. So was Brittany Griner. She yeah. uh, probably the MVP to uh, her. thoughts with her. Um, Spears, I have, you know, I got to say, I could not foresee that one coming. Um, I suppose that you could point out some cracks that we might have seen in the Suns in uh, in that Pelican series where maybe they showed they weren't quite the same dominant team as they were in the regular season. I suppose you could have said, you know, Chris Paul kind of lost his mojo a little bit and you reported about an injury he was dealing with um, over the previous games. You know, he really wasn't the same player after game two. You could say that Devin, uh, that uh, um, that Devin Booker, you know, when he went head to head with Luka Doncic, just wasn't up to it, and the Doncic was awesome as he was. Um, but I don't know how anybody could have foreseen the way that played out. Uh, what was it like to be there in the building? You know, um, and Brian, you know this: when you go to certain games and you get behind the scenes access, you kind of feel a different vibe. And there was this like just uptightness. I saw Chris Paul walk in before the game and just just seemed uptight. Monty pregame just seemed uptight. And then on the flip side, you're talking to Jason Kidd, and he's like, "Hey, man, just happy go lucky, no stress in the world, no pressure." I agree. Right? You know, uh, Ime Udoka, the Celtics coach, was like that before Game Six in Milwaukee. He's like, "I think we're good," and they were. Yeah. I, I feel you. I feel you. So the, the, the vibe and it, there's, you know, I'm big on um, talking to people behind the scenes that see people every day. Um, you know, I don't care. Uh, I, I treat everybody the same, man. The people that clean in the back, the, the people that do the food services, you know, they see more stuff behind the scenes. You know, Brian, that's like an old trick of mine to go talk to them. And one of the ladies uh, from the sun, she's like, they look different today. Something's off. Something's not right. They say hi, but it's a different hi. Mm. And I was like, and I just kind of kept that in mind as the game started. And then boom, it was, I, I have a list of games that were stunning. Um, and atop of that list was Clippers. I was at Clippers in game seven in the bubble when they lost to Denver. And, mm. and I had a really good seat to that because the bubble, we had amazing seats. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. This is this is stunning. Like, and and I felt the exact same way. I, I don't know if it leaps over the Clippers thing, but perhaps it does because of the expectations of this team, man. Like they were supposed to be the front runner for the championship. Uh, this was supposed to be Chris Paul's time. Booker is finally shining. Same with Aiden, and it just like all crashed down. And there was a stat. And I know Pelton probably could just say it off the top of his head with his being a statistician guru he is, that in the last, like, two weeks, they've been really playing mediocre, if not poorly. And for some reason, I probably didn't play cl- close attention to it. And um, they certainly, as Monty said, they left their worst game um, for the time they needed their best game. And and this, this kid, Luca, man, special man and uh he he to me that was his first real big signature win 
that you, when you start looking at the annals of his career that you're going to talk about. And Dirk was there as well. So, no, nah, I mean, it was it, – it, it's, it's rare that I cancel a plane ticket at halftime. Mm. And I cancel <laughs> all my Phoenix stuff at halftime, man. I'm, I'm still pretty stunned by it. Pelton, did you see that? Did you see the weakening of the Suns? That I mean, the Mavericks won four of the last five. I mean, hell. You didn't even need to have super insight. You could tell from that. But did you foresee that at all? No. I mean, look, they were six and a half point favorites in this game. To, to Spears's point, we were starting to have this conversation in our group chat during the game. I mean, Rockets Spurs game six, that game that Kawhi missed and they still closed out Houston and James Harden played as poorly as he did, which came up in the wake of you know, the, the Sixers elimination and James Harden's performance in that one, you know, in the last week, that to me was kind of the most shocking, just like, I thought this game was going to go one way and it went a completely different way that I can remember in the last few years of covering the league Clippers nuggets game seven in the bubble was another good one that Spears dimensions, but this one, just the scale of Phoenix's complete inability to compete in this game was truly shocking. And yeah, they've lost, they had lost three of the previous four, but those were all in Dallas. They had been just fine in Phoenix in game five had dominated the first two games of this series. And then for them to just be wiped off the floor, like even the second quarter after they came out, so you're expecting, okay, it's just a matter of time before Devin Booker hits some shots. Deandre Ayton gets going. They're going to get back into this because we've seen that happen. We've seen that play out so many times in playoff games and it, it just never happened. Instead, Luca is making enormous shots. These step back threes and Dallas just keeps it. Spencer Dinwiddie is making huge threes. Dallas just keeps adding to the lead. I mean, I think, you know, the, the Chris Paul piece of this is a really interesting discussion because you look back to the podcast that you did with the, uh, the Tims after game two of this series and making fun of Bon Temps for picking the Mavericks and how, you know, at that point after blowing out, we were making fun of him because he picked them, but not in the official not, NBA, yes. not in the official ESPN selections but like via twitter like it was very you know by the way all four of his picks won he picked the heat celtics mavericks and warriors but he didn't pick them for espn where everybody looks with all due respect to his twitter account yeah and he, was, he, he was he wanted to tell elon musk but he didn't want to tell the nba people who read espn sorry go ahead I mean, he does get credit because he he was very public with that prediction after they were down two nothing in the series, and it looked like it was it was finished. And Phoenix was the he was certainly very to win the public title. about it last night. He wanted to make sure everybody oh. saw it, just in case you missed it. I I can imagine, uh, but you know, the Chris Paul I think was the biggest difference after that, as Spears alluded to. This was, if you go by game score per thirty six minutes, his worst five game stretch since March twenty nineteen. So since he's kind of revitalized his career in Oklahoma yeah. City and come to Phoenix and revitalize the Suns. I'll give you a more basic stat. Chris Paul is one of the greatest assist to turnover players in the history of the game. And he had one of his greatest efficiency seasons this year. And he had two games this entire season, the entire year, where he had more turnovers than assists. Two. They were games three and six. Um, so Spears, uh, you talked about a Chris Paul injury last night. And I also want to ask you about something that Monty said about Deandre Ayton. What, what was that? Um, you reported on a quad issue that Chris has dealing with. Yeah, no, I, um, <clears throat> after the, uh, press conference, uh, Chris departed to the locker room or departed, uh, from the press conference to depart. And so I was a little bit behind him and came up to him to ask him uh, some questions or see if I could. And uh, definitely had a abnormal limp to him. Um, I don't think there was any gamemanship or he, he was trying to come up with something. Um, and he went up to this uh, trainer and started talking to her for a moment and he was grabbing his groin, or I'm sorry, his quad his left quad and they had a conversation by for a couple minutes and uh i was told that he had this injury um and i went up to him to ask him about it and and he declined to talk about it so there was no text to me um hey can you put this out for me right 
hey, hey, can you give me an excuse? Um, far from that. Um, it was just something that I saw and something I confirmed and something he didn't want to talk about and make as an excuse. So, you know, Twitter universe uh, went crazy with it. Um, yeah. But I was just a journalist reporting what I saw. And yeah, uh, that, that, that happened to me sure. in uh, in 2018 uh, in the finals when LeBron had the broken or this the fracture or whatever hand. I knew that he'd been treating his hand during the playoffs um, or during the finals, but I didn't know like the extent of the injury. And after the finals were over, after they lost, I asked about it and they said, yeah, he's got a small crack. And I said a crack in his uh, knuckle or your finger and his, his production had plummeted over those last couple games. And I said, well, when did it happen? And they were like, no, it happened when he punched the blackboard after the after JR forgot the score in game one. So I went out there and reported it. Like LeBron, you know, has a small injury fracture in his hand after punching the blackboard. And it wasn't that like, it was like, oh, let's come up with an excuse. Let me go whisper, you know, but anyway. Um, and, and to your point, um, uh, I, I, I think with him, if you listen to his quotes after the game, he had an interesting quote in which he said, I did, I think I did everything that I thought I could do. And, and I may be paraphrasing it a little, but that's kind of like the quote that kind of like stuck with me a little bit. I'm like, hmm, he did everything he thought he could do. Yeah. Um, and then seeing that like limp, seeing how he walked, and and I've been I've been covering Chris for 20 years now. I I know him. He he don't have a, a reason to try to come up with a game with me. Um, but it 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 doesn't diminish what Dallas did. They they whooped him. Right in Game Six, um, he there was that moment where um, Jay Crowder, Frank Milakina, and Paul George, or, I mean uh, Chris Paul, all got sandwiched. And he fell and everybody was kind of watching his hand after that play, but he also grabbed that left quad. Now I don't know if that was an aggravation or if that was where he heard it. I don't know. So also Deandre Ayton plays only 17 minutes in this game and gets asked Monty Williams gets asked about it afterwards. And he just said, it's internal. Yeah. Um, what do we make of that? He didn't speak to the media afterwards either. And, and right. it was interesting at the beginning of the third quarter to me to like the final, like, okay, this is over is that D.A. got fouled, went to the line and missed both shots. Um, and then it just – all the energy went out of the building. You know, Rob Bass and D.J. Easy Rock tried to get them back at halftime. <laughs> and the first song, Joy and Pain, would probably uh, – <laughs> probably more applicable to the situation. Um, yeah, it's, it's a curious situation with him because, you know, I think D.A.'s had his best season in terms of – you know, doing everything the right way and saying the right things, but you know, in the back of his mind, that contract situation had to be eating him up. Like not, not getting that figured out. Um, and I mean, I don't know what he said or what did. Um, I'm sure it'll come out soon. I tried to get some kind of comment from from his uh, his group last night, and they they usually hit me back in an instant, and I'm still waiting. So yeah, I, I get it. I get it. All right. I was just going to investigate that. So Pelton, um, I want to look a little bit forward here. We'll have more to talk about the Suns backward. Um, Luka Doncic uh, has been just awesome. He scored 35 points in 30 minutes in this game. Um, if he had had to play 45 minutes, which I would have expected in the game seven, he might've scored 50. And, you know, while the Suns get eviscerated, they might have played their best game and Luca might have outlasted them. Um, the sports books instantaneously put the Mavericks in at um, uh, as an underdog uh, plus plus 275. So it's just a shade under three to one. Those nods came down to about two and a half to one today. I expect them to continue falling. Um, Luca is coming into his own. He, um, has been great in elimination games in his career. I know he lost two games to the Clippers, but it wasn't because of his play. Um, I've been talking about this, the game that he played for Slovenia in Lithuania last summer when um, 
when this, he got the Slovenians to the Olympics for the first time uh, to win in Lithuania under those circumstances. And he had a humongous triple double um, that game should count as elimination game. Um, and then obviously this game, you know, his, his, uh, his first dominating, I expect there will be more dominating game sevens. Um, you know, how do you quantify this and what do you think, you know, you know, what do you think about the, the Mavericks being two and a half to one underdogs in, against the Warriors? I guess I was surprised by the lines for both of these series. And we'll talk about the, the Celtics and Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals later, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, that one was even maybe even more surprising to me. But, you know, you look at what Dallas has done since Luka got healthy. I mean, even before Luka got healthy, taking two of the first three against Utah, they're playing as well as just about anyone in the postseason this far. I I do think people kind of got a little far too far down on the Warriors during the second round, given that, you know, a lot of their offensive issues were the fact that they just were shooting very poorly for three for much of that series. And I don't think that was going to continue. And, and clearly it didn't in that game six closeout against Memphis. So, you know, I don't expect that to carry over going forward. But, you know, not that many teams have a great matchup for Luka, but, you know, the Warriors perimeter defenders there's there's not a, a ton of size in that group uh you know the the way that they've liked to play with the three guards i mean you'll, you'll stick wiggins on him and, and draymond and switches but luke has been very successful against the warriors historically he's got the the second best true shooting percentage in the regular season in his career against the warriors of any opponent best of any western conference opponent that he's faced as regularly as he has golden state and you know look playoff Playoff development isn't always linear just because of the fact that you have a breakthrough moment like we talked about this was for Luca doesn't necessarily mean that it carries over in the next round. But I, I think there's every opportunity for him to be the best player in this series, to be the best player left in the playoffs when we talk about the MVP favorites that have already been eliminated. And when you've got that guy, you've, you've always got a reasonable chance. Well, the Warriors defense has backslid a little bit in the postseason from the regular season, they're allowing slightly more uh, points per game uh, or, you know, defensive, defensive efficiency. There's slightly, slightly more, actually not even slightly. I think about four more points per hundred possessions. Um, and uh, I think they were fifth or sixth in defense uh, during the regular season. And they're like sixth or seventh in the playoffs in defense. They haven't played as well. Meanwhile, Dallas has been really strong defensively, Although they had their moments where the Suns beat them up, but uh, has been really strong defensively really for the last couple of months. Um, so that'll be key. And, you know, I, you know, I think it'll come down to, you know, the series I just covered, which was, um, you know, Milwaukee and Boston, you know, the Celtics had to make a decision about, about how effect, you know, how much they wanted to swarm Giannis. And I want to be clear, they still loaded the paint when Giannis came down in there. It wasn't like they were just leaving uh, Grant Williams or Al Horford um, or Marcus Smart out with there with no help. But they generally were restrained in helping after game one. And as a result, Giannis put up a historically great series, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they really were able to get out to those shooters. And so I think, you know, it's not the exact same X and O situation, but Golden State may have a choice to make about whether or not they want to allow Dorian Finney-Smith to get to freely catch the ball, or if they want to try to collapse on Luca a little bit more, if they want to risk, um, you know, devoting extra defenders to try to force him to give the ball up, which he has done effectively uh, versus trying to let him get it. Because, you know, one of the things I think if you look at Luca, you start to wonder about his stamina and, you know, whether he can, he can, he can do it for, you know, he can average 40 for six or seven games. In the case of Giannis, like in the second half of game seven, Giannis missed at least three bunnies. You could argue even more, but three bunnies. And I don't know if it was fatigue based, but I know he wasn't missing those bunnies the rest of the series. So, you know, that's a calculus that the Warriors may have to make um, on, on how they defend him. And it could be laying the groundwork for, for Luca to have a super prolific series and see if he is, the type of super megastar that can beat a team on his own, Pelton. Yeah, and that's where for Dallas, Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie's production is so important. I mean, you know, Dinwiddie's first half last night was incredible in terms of the timing and the magnitude of it. 
you know, they didn't in that case need Luca to be dominant in the first half. And then also in the fourth quarter, like we've seen him sometimes struggle to do in the playoffs against the Clippers last year in particular, but when he gets that kind of help and doesn't have to be doing everything offensively in the first half, it, it changes what he's able to do later in games. It also changes what he's able to do at the defensive end of the court where, you know, we saw Phoenix go right at him in game two with a tremendous amount of success. And look, they, you know, they were still getting Chris Paul switched on to, you know, Lucas switched on to Chris Paul on a Devin Booker last night. And those guys were not having the same success that they did early in the series. Spears, um, how do you see, Luca versus Warriors. You know, I wonder if the uh, the Denver series helps the Warriors a little bit um, in the mentality that you had to have against Joker, where you know he, he's this this mega superstar, big time scorer, but he also makes people better. And all, although these guys are different kind of players, they kind of operate the same way. Um, and so I, I think they defensively are going to have that same kind of mentality like, okay, I mean, he averaged, Luca averaged 31 against them during the regular season. He also averaged five and a half assists. I think for them, they got to keep that assist number down. That's more the key. I, I don't think you stop Luca from scoring, stop him from energizing the crowd. And I actually think he loves it on the road more than he even does at home. Like he, he seems to be energized by playing on the road and uh, he, he's getting a growing number of fans, but uh, they have to limit everybody else. Um, Dinwiddie, he averaged 20 this season against the Warriors. I'm not sure if, if those were all with, with Dallas, um, but Brun, uh, Brunson didn't uh, only average 12. So the sample size against the Warriors this year is interesting because, uh, you know, because of their injury situation when they had two games at Dallas, one late, uh, Draymond wasn't in the game. So it's kind of really hard to gauge that. But Dallas shown that they're certainly capable of beating Golden State. Um, but going again back to uh, Luca, like it, it uh, if they keep him from making everybody else great, uh, which is easier said than done, you know, I like their chances. Yeah, it's going to be a series we're going to talk about a lot. Um, and I think we could potentially be to something of something great here. Like, you know, I don't make predictions, as you know, never even come close to making predictions, right? Never, ever, ever. This could be Luca's time, though. We'll have no, to see. It very well could be. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Supercuts. Let's face it, life is busy. Between work and family and more work, our to-do lists have a way of getting longer instead of shorter. Luckily, Supercuts is here to make at least the haircut part of your life easy. Supercuts is perfect for people who need a haircut but don't have a ton of time for a haircut. No more scouring the web for salons with availability. You can use the Supercuts app to find the location nearest to you and check in or just walk in. Another bonus, the salon shows estimated wait times, so you know exactly what you're in for. That way, you're only in salon when you need to be. and Don't expect to stay a while. As for the cut itself, it's always super solid. Thanks to Supercut's highly trained stylists. Get in, get out, and get to that thing that you needed a haircut for. Whether you've got a big presentation coming up or a wedding, or you just need some upkeep, Supercut's makes getting a haircut effortless. It's not just any haircut. It's Supercuts. Check in now on the Supercuts app or on supercuts.com. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals. Terms apply. All right, so looking into the East, um, 
Pelton, Mike uh, Budenholzer has had, had six, a lot of success uh, playing with his style of defense, which is pack the paint and dare the op- opposition to shoot threes. Um, he has a ring. We play in that style. Um, the Celtics made 53 more threes in this series than this, than the Bucks. It wasn't just because of that strategy. It was also because the Bucks couldn't hit anything. They went four of 33 in game seven, just unsurvivable on the road. Um, but, and Chris Middleton, you know, the Bucks even getting a chance to close us out at home was a great accomplishment and an ode to the greatness of Giannis. Giannis was the first player in NBA history to have a playoff series where he had 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists. Nobody, not Wilt, not Jordan, not LeBron. Nobody has ever had those kind of numbers. Um, and it's just remarkable to get it there. But, you know, people were ripping Bud for deciding in game seven to not cover Grant Williams. Basically, um, after instead of having Brooke Lopez not cover Al Horford, they decided to have not cover Grant Williams and stay in the paint. And, you know, the point is that Grant Williams was a 40% three-point shooter during the course of the uh, regular season, and that's just lunacy, and it was because Grant had seven of them. But if you look at the Celtics shooters, Grant was the only of their shooters who was not shooting 40% from three coming into the game in the series. Um, and it really just totally cut the Bucks' um, strategy down to size. And um, it wasn't why they lost, but um, it, it was very, had to be very disheartening if you're a Bucks fan watching op- wide-open three-point shooters cut down your team in Game 7. Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating because you could say that that strategy was part of the reason that they were – you know, up in this series in the first place because Grant Williams had gone two for 14 from three between game two and game six. And the fact that he wasn't, you know, testing the the Milwaukee defense in that strategy was part of the reason that he wasn't on the court to finish some of these games and that they That's went right. small with Derek White in the, those situations in a lineup that was very effective for them, but gave, you know, Milwaukee more you know, took some size off the court, gave Milwaukee more opportunity to attack smaller defenders. So, I, I mean, I think it's a completely reasonable strategy. What's kind of amazing about it is just the confidence from Grant Williams to attempt 18 three-pointers in a game, the most yeah. three-pointers Jason ever Tatum in a said, playoff game. Yeah, Jason Tatum said, um, don't don't get used to that, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to attempt those 18 when you're making a bunch of them as he was, but uh, it was quite remarkable. I I think the fact that like we didn't really discuss the absence of Chris Middleton, arguably, I mean, I think he's probably Milwaukee's third best player because I think Drew Holiday is that good as a two-way force, but he's their second best shot creator without question. And to play this entire series without him and be as close to even as they were through six games, I think was pretty remarkable on Milwaukee from Milwaukee's standpoint. And we saw that lack of depth on the wing really, I think, play out in game seven, where it's a lot of Grayson Allen minutes, despite the fact that Boston was targeting him defensively. A lot of Pat Connaughton minutes, despite the fact that he yeah, wasn't producing on the offense. Bucks, one of the things that happened with the Bucks, the Bucks at the trade deadline. They could have kept Dante DiVincenzo, who was not having a good year. They could have traded Dante DiVincenzo for a, a different wing player that could have helped them. But they elected to trade him for Serge Ibaka, who ended up not being a factor in the playoffs at all because they were not sure about Brooke Lopez's health. And when you win a championship, a lot of times things go your way. Last year, there were some injuries that helped. Uh, I mean, the Bucks won it. I want to be 100% clear. But some things went their way. This year, some things went against them. They, they hedged on Brooke Lopez instead of on the wing. That worked against them. It was great that Lopez came back, but then that those assets that they used weren't able to help them when it mattered. And then, you know, Chris Middleton gets hurt in a freak injury and um, is, is knocked out. So, you know, Spears, I think the Bucks admirably defended their title. Uh, the winner of this series might end up being the winner, uh, winner of the title. Um, and Giannis almost got him through to get a, give Chris a chance to play in the conference finals. But I don't, you know, I don't have any really fault with, with the bucks and their performance. Yeah. And, and one thing about uh, Middleton to me, he's their Dennis Eckersley. He's their closer. Yeah. He's their guy in the fourth quarter that they go to, to get games completed. Good, re- so, good, good, good A's reference there. Like, well, Boston Red Sox too. Yeah. But closer. He was the A's closer. Yeah, you're right. You're right. 
Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I think they greatly missed them, especially in some of those tense games, right? Like you could have, I mean, that to me is a huge, huge loss um, to not have a, one of their big three. And I, I think Giannis just ran out of gas, man. And so it's, it's, I, I thought that was a, I, I wish Middleton would have played. You hate to see champs go out like that. Um, it, it's just, I, if you would ask me two weeks ago, I would have said, yeah, I think the Bucks and, and the Suns will end up in the finals. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's just amazing how things change um, and how injuries affect things. Like we, we can't, that's the worst part about the playoffs is there's always some kind of major injury that affects stuff. And, but Hey, that's, that's, you know, the Toronto Raptors say, aren't trying to hear that. Right. Like, right. Can I say, yeah. by the way, that the, the Bash brothers A's were my favorite team growing up. I could almost name their entire starting lineup. Now, Carney okay. Lankford, um, Walt Weiss, uh, Terry Steinbach, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Ricky Henderson, Dave Henderson, Dave Stewart. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually friends with Dave Stewart, man. It's kind of cool. I mean, I, uh, I would, I would I, totally I, hang out with you and talk about those A's, but he probably doesn't want to do that. Well, no, he would. He <laughs> actually, uh, one of my cousins, um, came with me to an A's game once and, um, I miss going to that area, man. We're Oracle's next door. And yeah. Although that that stadium, man, we we need we need to get a new stadium. But <laughs> I bring him in a suite with Dave, and didn't even tell him we were going to meet Dave. So he's all already in awe as it was. And we walk into the suite, and Ricky Henderson's in the suite, and Shooty oh, Babbitt. Man, Ricky Henderson. Listen, I used to wear the Mizuno batting gloves. Oh man, with the padding on them, uh, fluorescent green. All right, this is a. Hey, this is a and we talk about the. NBA we need hey, look. Baseball enthusiasts need to talk about Ricky Henderson more. So I'm glad there's a Ricky Henderson book coming. Oh out. man, I gave me loved Ricky Henderson. I covered baseball for two years. I got to cover him. Believe it or not, when he was at the Angels, and I asked him about the greatness of his being a leadoff hitter, and he said. I think I is the greatest leadoff hitter to ever be. <laughs> That's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> oh my God, Spears. We'll talk about this in the finals. I can't yeah. do it right now. Jason Tatum. Um, look, Jason Tatum's established himself in this league. If you listen to this pod, you know how I feel about Jason Tatum. Love him. Um, and um, watching him put up 46 points in game six in Milwaukee, it was you know, that's what, you know, that's what got the, the Celtics, you know, to the finish line. I mean, it was Grant Williams play that pushed him over. He went almost play for play with Giannis in games uh, four or five and six after he had a dud in game three. And, you know, if he may not equal Giannis in terms of overall stats, but it was close and just dropping daggers on the bucks uh, in their building uh, when they'd won eight consecutive closeout games. And the reason they'd won eight consecutive closeout games is because they defend and they have Giannis. And um, the Bucks thought they had that a couple of times. They was, they'd cut the lead down to five in the fourth quarter with like five, six minutes left. And then Tatum just carried them home. So it's huge statement moment for Tatum. And so now we have a, a rematch, of the 2020 bubble conference finals, um, which the, uh, which the heat won. That was the series where Tyler Hero really emerged. Um, I think he had a 37-point game in Game Four. Bam Adebayo was great in that series. Jimmy Butler did a lot, but it was actually it was more Bam and Hero in that series. Spears, you remember you were in the bubble. Uh, I'm not sure we, what we can take from that from from yeah. two years ago, but I will say that um, Tatum is a different player now, and the Celtics are uh, a more matured overall team. Um, what I will point out is this was a grueling series grueling. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a, a day and a half between six and seven, and they've got roughly two days between um, seven and one yeah. with Robert Williams out. Essentially uh, Ime Udoka was playing seven guys. Uh, I mean, you know, Pritchard Peyton Pritchard was out there a little bit, but he was potentially playing seven guys. Al Horford, in my view, slowed down at age 35, slowed down towards the end of the series. Uh, if there's one thing, you know, Marcus Smart's dealing with a, uh, did you hear what I just said? I sound like a, I've been with the Celtics for two weeks. I said, Marcus Smart. 
Marcus, Marcus Smart. Smart's dealing with a quad injury. Um, <laughs> Marcus Smart's dealing with, you know, he's, he keeps getting hit on it again. Um, you know, it's so um, I'm a little bit, you know, it, Kyle Lowry looks like he's going to miss the start of the series. Yeah. I'm wondering a little bit, Spears, whether there may be a bit of a hangover um, and whether or not that'll affect the overall series. But but the Celtics, as we we're going to talk about Pelton in a second, the Celtics are favored uh, in this series. Yeah. Well, not when I was in Boston, they used to call me Mac. Hey, Mac. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if I, I get out there for the finals, I'm getting ready for some of that again. Right. Um, this Tatum is different than the one in the bubble, for sure. And I, I, kudos to Ime Udoka. And also kudos, we, we didn't mention, I think Jason Kidd has done a phenomenal job and, and pushed Luca to the next level and, and is challenging him in the right way. Um, and kudos to Nico for making that trade oh, yeah. um, of Porzingis, uh, Nico Harrison. But um, I think Ime has instilled this, all right, you're a superstar, be a superstar, be aggressive, you know, be legendary uh, in a different way. There seems to be a different aggression from Tatum now this season than there was previously. So I, I don't think he is the same player that we saw in the bubble anymore. Another thing to keep in mind is Jalen Brown has uh, had a good season uh, against Miami too, averaged about 25 points a game. So he's, to me, certainly an X factor. In terms of their time off, not having a bunch of time, yeah. Other than Horford, I think they're still, I guess, smart. They're relatively young guys still. So I think they should be okay. The one thing I'm really concerned about is Lowry, man. His hamstring injury. I, I think he takes them to a different level. Uh, he's also been on the highest of stages, and uh, they I think they just need that rudder. They need that captain in Miami. So keeping a close, close eye on that. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see because now it's like what it's like every other day, right, for Boston and Miami. Uh, Miami yeah. is coming in super, it's every other super day, well, well rested yeah. with tans, right? And <laughs> they're at home, whereas Boston, yeah. But I just think the the level of where they are, and there's this, and you guys know this when you're playing in Boston, like to see the fans basically have a party outside the arena because you made the conference finals and what it means to them. It's it's it, I know it means a lot everywhere to win a championship. But I think they get a little boost from their their fans there who I'm sure will take up a lot of seats in Miami and uh, give them an extra. That's boost. true. That's true. Felton, um, you were surprised that the Celtics were favored. Um, I think it was uh, minus 140. At least that was the initial line I saw. I don't know if there's been an updated line, but um, you sounded skeptical of that. No, I, I was surprised that I had seen a line preliminarily that had these two teams even, which oh, okay. you know, I think like a lot of people, I thought that the whoever won the Celtics-Bucks series was going to be favored in the conference finals, despite Miami having home court in this series because of the high level of play that we saw. And, you know, it'll be interesting because I think there is also going to be an adjustment for Miami to kind of get to that level after playing a, a Philadelphia team that was not as dis- disciplined, as diligent at the defensive end. And the other thing they weren't is, is switch heavy. And I think that's going to be a really interesting aspect of this series and a big difference from 2020, which if you go back then, 23 players played in that series. The stars are still the same, but only 10 of the players who played in that series are left on these two teams. They really dramatically changed their supporting cast. And in Boston's case, I think the biggest difference is not you know, obviously Tatum is a different player, but it's not having Kemba Walker because in that series, you know, he was out there. They needed him to really create offense in part because of the fact that Tatum wasn't who he is now and, and Jalen has grown as well. And that gave my, you know, made it difficult for them to switch pick and rolls involving Kemba and gave Miami a place to target. There's not really a soft landing spot. You know, if you're trying to create a switch and a favorable matchup for Jimmy Butler or for Tyler Hero in this series, you know, when Peyton Pritchard is out there uh, and to a lesser extent, Derek White, I think Jimmy Butler will look to try to get those guys on him and and go one-on-one against them. But, you know, Miami's starting five, there's there's no soft spots. And I, or, I'm sorry, Boston's starting five, there's no soft spots. And I think that's 
ultimately potentially going to be the difference in this series is that Boston is going to have to have more places to attack against a Miami defense that also probably is going to switch most, most pick and rolls. Then, you know, Miami is going to have attacking Boston's defense. Well, somebody is going to win the inaugural Larry bird trophy for Eastern conference MVP. And that means we get to see Larry bird, huh? I don't. Is that right? Is he giving it out? I yeah, he has to show up, right? Well, he lives in Florida, so if it happens while it's in Miami, it would be hard to. Yeah. Uh, Larry's not doing much. Larry didn't show up at the seventy top seventy-five, which was a great yeah. event. He didn't come to it, so I, I, I don't know about that. But um, I last saw him in India. I've seen him in weird places. I've seen him in <laughs> India and at an ice bar in Sweden. <laughs> this I, I gotta pause here for a second. So I'm in India. Okay, you were there for the NBA when this King of the Kings went over there. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You saw them in, at an ice bar in Sweden. They had this. So I was in, in Sweden in 2002 for the Euro Championships. The young Tony Parker, a young Dirk, uh, a young uh, AK-47. All those guys were there. And I went into some bar made out of ice. Walk in and Larry Bird's there sitting drinking a beer. Yeah, I was gonna say he's probably still drinking a bud, right? Yeah. I mean, he's not he's not maybe it was a Heineken out okay. in that neck of the woods. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, he was drinking a beer in the in the ice bar. It's kind of cold in there. <laughs> oh my, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> I'm it's, sorry with my random stories. No, man. man, I I it was amazing. Um it's, it sounds a little <laughs> like the Atlanta episode a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm I'm, I'm trying to get re-control of this pod with you talking about Atlanta. I know you love Atlanta, the series, uh, Pelton. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Swagoo and Perk, an ESPN podcast led by its namesake Coasts, Marcus Spears, that's Swagoo, and Kendrick Perkins. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Spears and Perkins will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as a look inside their lives, career, journey, and can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. Listen wherever you get your podcast and also available on ESPN's YouTube channel. Um, before we go, uh, we got travel today, so we have to go, but um, I want to talk about the lottery. We've done whole podcasts in the past about the lottery. This one isn't as dramatic as recent ones, but for some of these teams, it's a, it's a really big deal. Lottery is Tuesday night before game one of the uh, East finals uh, on um, ESPN. Houston is a reminder. Houston has the number one chance to get the number one pick, but um, Houston, Orlando, Detroit, all of the same odds, one, two, three. Um, and then Oklahoma City at four is not that far behind. They all have about 13, 14%. Um, Pelton, which team in the lottery are you keeping an eye on? Which team would be the most dramatic, whether they jump into the top four or, or get into that in, uh, or stay in the top three, the three or four? Well, we've talked on this podcast about the opportunity that New Orleans has with the oh, Lakers yeah. lottery pick and and what an incredible boon that would be to a team that already, you know, gave Phoenix a test in the first round and and looks very, very promising if they can get Zion Williamson healthy. I, I think Portland is probably the other most interesting team that has a realistic shot of jumping up into that, you know, top two or three in terms of, you know, Portland has aimed for this to be a, a gap year for them with, with Damian Lillard's injuries and, you know, wants to get back into contending in the Western conference, which is not going to be easy to do, but you get one of those top three players 
to pair with them, I think there's a much more reasonable path forward to, to them becoming, uh, you know, a, a contender again in kind of the, the 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 back half of Lillard's prime if they sign him to an extension this off season. So, you know, I think that's different. Whereas, you know, Houston, Orlando, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Indiana is another interesting team that I think could make a push next year if they get one of these these top prospects. But those other teams are probably still, you know, a few years away. Yeah. So real quick, um, New Orleans with the Lakers pick has a 26% chance of jumping into the top four. Um, would it be fair to say, Pelt, that some people think that it's a four-player impact player draft? I mean, it's always future. We never know, really. But, you know, are people are, are people drawing the red line at four? That's kind of what I've heard. Yeah, I think that's definitely what you hear talking to scouts. I, I'm a little more optimistic. I think that there are six really interesting prospects in this year's draft and the, and the two outside the top four. Let's go over them real quick. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know what order, you know, you have them, but, you know, Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, Jabari Smith, um, who's going to be a four in the NBA. Um, uh, 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 Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Um, Paolo Blanquero from Duke. Uh, those are the four that when I talk to scouts, they draw it. I mean, who do you, who are you adding to that top six? So the other two guys I really like are Keegan Murray from Iowa, who's just a, an incredibly versatile scorer. There's a little bit of an element of kind of an Anton Jameson, but a modern Anton Jameson where he can really score without necessarily needing to dominate the ball and, and hold it a long time. But he's also got the ability to stretch out to three a little more than Anton Jameson did. That's a very exciting player, Anton Jameson. Yeah. And I like Anton Jameson. I'm just kidding. But you know, if you can get Anton Jameson, definitely tank. I'm joking. <laughs> well, I'm talking about with the five or six picks here. The, the, uh, and then AJ Griffin from Duke, who, who played with Paolo Bancaro and, yeah. you know, was overshadowed by him, but he's someone who kind of fits the, uh, the modern NBA, really good three point shooter, versatile defensively does, does a lot of things in terms of the box score, which helps his statistical projection. And uh, you know, there's, there's some legacy uh, prospects at the top of, of, of this year's draft. Jaden Ivey, his mom, Neil is the uh, head coach at Notre Dame played in the WNBA was a great college player and won a national championship at Notre Dame. Uh, and then, then uh, you know, obviously Jamari Smith's dad played in the NBA, and then AJ Griffin, the son of Adrian Griffin, longtime NBA player and current right. assistant coach. Okay, so real quick before I go to you, Spears, twenty-six um, percent for New Orleans to hop up into the top four. Um, three of those top uh, four picks are projected to be power forwards. We'll see what happens to Chet Holmgren. We'll talk more about him in the future. Um, that would be interesting with Zion. Um, Portland, who potentially could make that pick available, as Pelton said, depending on where they go. They got a 37% chance of um, jumping into the top four. Um, Spears, what are you looking at on uh, on Tuesday night? Well, I think uh, obviously New Orleans is quite interesting if they could do that. But, you know, Sacramento Kings, man, um, they have Sabonis, Ento, uh, um and I, I, I saw some interesting things with them late in the season. If, you know, obviously they got Fox, Harrison Barnes. They're, they're, they're a little – their roster's probably a little bit better than people think. And if they could get a top five pick um, to go with those guys and, and pick the right guy, which is often the problems in Sacramento, uh, like somebody that can make an impact now uh, – I, I think that could certainly have a great impact on the Kings and, and then being much more competitive and the, and the team on the rise. So I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the Kings as well. There's another player um, from Duke that I really liked. I got to see him close up uh, during the NCAA tournament, and it was Mark Williams, the center. Um, kind of reminds me of Capella in a lot of ways, uh, probably a better shooter than Capella but definitely block shots, um, rebounds is, is the type of center you want on your team in today's NBA. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, I don't know that he's top five, but maybe five through 10, keep an eye on him. I kind of see him as, a, as, as somebody that could be on the rise and he had a pretty good tournament. So I would say, uh, I'm, Pelton mentioned the Pacers. 
I did a piece that published over the weekend. The Pacers haven't had a pick inside the top 10. They've had two picks at 10th. Um, but they haven't had a pick inside the top 10 since 1989. I believe I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I said that Rick Smith was, was the pick. Uh, it was George McLeod. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, now, Rick Smith was oh, 88. They, they had the second pick in 88 and the fourth pick in 89. They drafted Rick Smith and George McLeod. They drafted Reggie Miller in 87 with the 11th pick. And um, then after being in the lottery three out of four years, they made the playoffs 16 out of 17 years after that. Um, so they haven't been in the lottery that much. Um, they are guaranteed a top 10 pick this time. The You know, in an extreme situation, they could fall all the way to ninth, but that will not happen. They have a 42% chance to jump um, up into the top four. Um, they are a team with, with Halliburton and Brogdon. Um, that could be very interesting if they end up in, you know, two, three, four zone, they're going to be under some pressure locally to pick Jade and Ivy, I think, but um, um, they're a team to watch. They haven't been in this position in forever. I, I talked to um, their, their team president, uh, Kevin Pritchard about it. It's, it's not something they've ever done because their ownership is really, really anti against tanking. And they always say never be in the middle. It's the worst place to be. That's where the Pacers have been. You know, they've been at the top a few times too, but um, they've been totally happy to be in the middle because the the owner doesn't want to, you know, ever be in this position. But it happened this year because of injuries. So, as always, the lottery will be very important. And I also think there isn't much discussion about um, about what could happen leading up to the draft yet in terms of um, of uh, transactions. Once the lottery gets set and everybody knows what cards they're holding, I think you will see a definite uptick um, as you know, there are several teams I think that could be interested in moving their pick. And um, another thing to point out is that the thunder, you know, they have their pick um, and they have the um, LA Clippers pick. Um, so uh, I guess there's an extreme chance that the Clippers pick could come up, right? Pelton. Um, uh, it's un it's totally unprotected. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, completely. So it's about what is seven percent chance eyeballing it that that lands in the uh, top four. Yeah, so that's that's up there as well. Um, so you know, keep an eye. Uh, I would say that Oklahoma City had bad luck last year. They could have had two picks in the top five. They ended up with the sixth pick. Um, maybe karma swings around on them with their selection and then the Clippers selection. Uh, okay. Thank you for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Spears. Thank you to Pelton. Thanks to our producers. And uh, we will talk to you later this week. Real quick. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Taco Tuesday over salad? What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash hoop, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash hoop now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash hoop.